All right, welcome in Pucks with Hags, episode two, episode, full episode two. Yep, you did it, Joe. You made it to two, buddy. <laughs> Big success. <laughs> He's still here. Uh, Joe Haggerty from uh, Boston Hockey Now, of course, uh, the host of this podcast, Ty Anderson, 98.5, the sports hub, hockey scribe, not just hockey, he does it all. Uh, we're talking Bruins, we're entering game five. Bruins have a commanding 3-1 series lead, uh, but there's a lot to talk about both from this series and if we will allow ourselves to peek ahead just a little bit, that's fine too. Players can't do it. Media can do whatever they want, right? So we're fine. Uh, we want to remind you first off that this podcast is powered by our exclusive wagering partner, FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Uh, sign up quick. You're running out of time to take advantage of a $200 uh, $200 in bonus bets when you make a $5 real money wager. All you have to do is deposit 10 get 200 go to FanDuel.com slash Boston. Joel, let's start with you. Uh, Tuesday, Bruins practiced. They have the benefit of an extra off day heading into Game 5, first time this series that they've had that extra day, which is good. They're trying to get healthy. And uh, uh, Jim Montgomery pointed towards Game 5 as... I, I think we'll see Bergie then. And all signs seem to point to him playing. He practiced with the team. He'd only been skating on his own. It's the first time he practiced with the team on, on Tuesday. And he spoke. And usually players talk to the media. That usually means they're pretty good to go. It sounds like all signs are pointing to him playing. How did he look? How did he sound? What's the, what's the general vibe surrounding Bergie right now? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, when you have a 3 to 1 lead in a series, I think it's a rule that you have to write it as a commanding lead every single commanding. time. Commanding. Yeah. Or write it, but I think I've written commanding at least four or five times in the last two days. But uh yes, I was there today, uh Bergeron practice, no limitations, you know, full uh full practice jersey he was wearing. And when it was over, leading the stretch and then he was going around hugging, high-fiving everybody and it looked celebratory, like, you know, welcome back. You're, you're coming back into the family. You're coming back into the lineup. It had that kind of vibe and feel to it when he was going around uh, and chatting with everybody and sort of, uh, you know, it was kind of a welcome back thing. And then when he we talked to him afterwards, uh, he sounded very confident that he doesn't think foresee any setbacks, he doesn't see any issues coming, and that he's pretty sure he's going to be able to play in Game 5. So there was zero hesitation, zero question in his eyes and his voice and the things that he said. And, his, and the actions on the ice of him and his teammates, I would say, every single sign ports towards him playing, and that's great news. That You know, there's a little bit of me that questions, like, if there's any if there's something physical with him, you know, maybe, and you, you have a chance to close out the Panthers in Game 5 and you're up 3-1, to one, do you continue to rest him and, you know, use the extra days off you're probably going to get if you close out the Panthers? Right. And then, you know, use that time to focus on the second-round opponent. But there's another side of that coin where you want to get him some game action before you might face a better opponent in the second round, and this allows him to do it. And everybody seemed pretty confident that he was healthy. So, you know, yeah. I, I don't think there's going to be a lot of controversy about Bergeron being back in this game. Well, same thing to you, Ty. He can play. Should he play? I think so. I think momentum is such a finicky thing in the postseason. You know, you see it. A team wins one game. Now, all of a sudden, they get, the, they get confidence. They're feeling good about themselves. And I think this Florida team, you know, they're not a great team. But I think that they're a team that feeds off energy, feeds off momentum. And if you open the door a little bit, you know, does that reinvigorate, you know, Matthew Kachuk? Carter Verhage, you know, I think this has been a really bad series for Alexander Barkov. You know, does that get him going, you know, a matchup against Bergeron if they win game five and he has a good game? 
Okay, well now if he's activated, you know, that's 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 a big development for them now. I think this far, Florida team is overmatched, but you don't want to give them life. You don't want to give them energy. And I think seeing number 37 lead the Bruins out, you know, before game five in a hostile environment for them, I think that's going to be a demoralizing shot off the jump for the Panthers. And I think that's why the Bruins want to do this so badly. They want to get him in there, you know, beyond the obvious of what we're talking about, where he's an incredible player and, um, you know, you, you want him to get game action before the second round. Like, I think there's a mental component to having him out there as well that the Bruins are looking for. Well, there's there definitely every... is. There's no question about it. Um, you know, and, and like they're obviously going to be a better team with him out there and, and everybody sort of slots back into where they're supposed to go. And, and to your argument, you know, Ekblad supposedly coming back uh, for the Panthers and playing in game five really is a game changer for them, too. I think they missed him big time in game four. There was no question about it. So you are going to face a, a better, desperate uh, Florida team. So you want all guns on hand. But you know, how long has it been since Bergeron's played now? Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven days. It's been a while, so you got to wonder how much he's going to be even be able to impact or be effective in that game. I say that though, and he's the legendary guy that will miss like two weeks and come in and score two or three goals and have this amazing game that everybody's going to talk about. So you know, that that'll probably end up being the case when he does suit up and play. But you you asked this. I I I. I... I know you asked Bergie this near the end of his uh, press availability today, Joe. Yep. Uh, you know, looking back on Montreal, you know. Kinda, I opened the sorta, door to the Montreal game. Yeah, I did. kind of, sort of. You know, is there some regret? And then, again, I mean, he's a pro and he didn't, yep. you know, he, he just kind of danced around it a little bit. So it doesn't matter. But you have to know they, they're they looking back at it like, yeah, maybe, maybe shouldn't have done it. So. All of the reasons you guys put forth on why he should play, momentum, put this team down, get him some actual game action, all of these things make perfect sense. But can you live with yourself if he goes out there, re-aggravates something, and you're dealing with the same exact thing in another series? And again, that's always a risk. It's hockey. These are big boys. There's always a risk that they can get hurt. But if there's a chance you could possibly sneak it by and know that five, six days from now, I got no worry with anything that's going on that it's going to re-aggravate or do anything that's going to set him back further. Do you consider it? If you're Montgomery, do you consider getting the clearance and saying, I'm rolling the dice? I think there's a high, if there was a, a reasonably high risk or any sort of tangible risk that he was going to aggravate it and you know they felt that that was a chance, I don't know that he would be playing just given the situation of where they're up in the series. And they do obviously respect the Panthers who had them on the run in game two in their own building. No question about it. But, you know, I, I feel like if the risk or the, the worry was high that it was going to, you know, he's going to go right back out of the lineup that he would not uh, be in there and he would not be playing. I mean, it's, it's kind of zero to 60 for him to go from sitting home skating by himself to all of a sudden practice one day and then in the right. lineup the next, you know, for the playoffs. It's awfully quick. To, and that says to me that they're confident that whatever this was, he's kind of, uh, you know, he's cle cleared the hurdle. He's kind of left it behind him to to a, a large degree, and there's not a high risk uh, of aggravation. But look at, like, Hall and Felino tie, like, you know, just in terms of their timetable and regular season injury timetable. You skate on your own for a little bit, then you practice a few days red contact and then a few days normal before you come back. It's a pretty quick ramp up. It definitely is. And what I will say, though, is that, Bergeron stayed home working with the same trainers and the staffers that got Marshan back early, got McAvoy back early, got Grizzlick back early. You know, so I think that they have a plan in place there that they want to go with. And to the concerns about re-aggravation, what I will say is my feeling on it is if he re-aggravates re it tomorrow night, 
the odds are he would re-aggravate it in game one against Toronto. So I feel like it really might not matter. I, I don't want a guy going Toronto. 13 games without – yeah, I think it's going to be Toronto. I, I think <laughs> we'll Ta- get- Tampa looks tired, man. I just – I can't well, – Well, the I, Bruins I, series is not over even though they're up 3-1 to one against the Florida Panthers who have looked rough the last you know, few even- games that they've played. But let's bury the Tampa Bay Lightning. They are yes. done. Yes. Yes. I agree even- with you. I mean, I've given up three goals in the third period last night. I was like, that's a bad look from Tampa. They look tired. We're not even going to air this first portion of the podcast. We're just doing it because we feel we have to. We're just doing a Leafs preview. No, but I think, but I do think that, you know, like there's, and I think it's important to note too, that all three parties involved, I'll say, you know, Bergeron himself, Montgomery and the training staff, they all have a say in how, you know, how this is going, when he's returning, when he's coming back in the lineup. So if he feels good to go, you know, they've trusted their players, I think for the most part all year long. And you're going to abandon that in game five with your most important player, your team captain, you know, that'd be a bit of a unusual look, I think, from the Bruins in terms of how they've operated year to date. So I think you do give them, you know, the, the go here and you hope that, listen, if it's a blowout, you don't play him 18 minutes, play him 13, 14 minutes, you know, ease up a little bit. So you just want to get a big lead, get him feeling good about his game and then say, enjoy the third period with your three shifts and, and yeah. get out of here. Okay. I agree. He's got to play, uh, and I think it's right. But it's always going to be in the back of your mind after what happened in Montreal. Now, uh, Joe saw this here, and I'll ask you first, Ty. Some goofy stuff going on at practice today in terms of the lines. Uh, you know, and, and again, just some of these. Uh, Bergeron was back centering uh, what's presumably line one, but with Pasternak and Bertuzzi flanking him. Uh, Marshawn was on a line with Coyle and Felino. Halzaka DeBrusque on the third with Lauko uh, Nosek Hathaway uh, there. Uh, so that's weird. Um, Montgomery was asked about it. I mean, it's, that's the kind of stuff you do when you're down three, one or panicky sort of stuff. If you were to enter the game that way, Montgomery said in, um, in his availability today, I'm just trying some stuff. I know what these guys look like together. Just want to try. But if you're thinking about it, if you're trying it today, you think he's going to try to do something, how much of this might be trying to get poster, not going in some way. And maybe that's something that they think is key here. Like, what did you think of the line rushes that they went out with today? And you think that they might do any of that? Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to go with Bergeron between Bertuzzi and Pasternak, if only because that winger combo is not very good defensively. We've seen them get hemmed in their zone, both in Boston and down in Sunrise. So you look at it from that point of view, maybe they're looking at that and saying, this is a line that we can complete, we can compete in all three zones versus having to shelter them if it's Bergeron between them. You know, I think there may be an element there, but I also think that Coyle and Martian have something going on right now. And maybe you're a little reluctant to, to pull away from that, you know, when you're getting those kind of contributions. So I do expect that we are going to see Bergeron and Martian reunited probably early in the first period or right off the jump. But I don't mind tinkering in, in terms of figuring out if you can maybe make a little bit of an adjustment if you do have to put the lines in a blender in-game, mid-game. I mean... Listen, when they went down there for Game 3 and they had those crazy lines, the first thought I had was, well, this is why they were tinkering amid a a, historic season. You know, when they were winning 65 games, it was like, you never know when you're going to need to go to something else. And, you know, maybe that's how they look at Game 5 here. And and I think Bergeron being out kind of forced... Montgomery to put the lines in a blender to a degree and, and change things around and give different looks 
to different combos playing together. And, and I think that's a good thing. Like, you can always go with the old standbys of what we saw most of the regular season, you know, if it's not working. And those guys have instant chemistry, and they played together for long stretches and had unparalleled success. So you have that to fall back on. Why not uh, try things, especially if you're up 3-1 to one in a series? I think that's the time you can – you know, look at some different things. But I think part of the priority, and to your point, Xanis, is uh, as much as you like some of the other combos that are working together after he's put all these people together, I think Bertuzzi and Pasternak are dynamite together. Yeah. You know, I, I think Bertuzzi has shown a real knack and playmaking ability to set up Pasternak, and he's really looking for him at spots where Pasternak can score. And when they've been on the ice together, they've looked extremely good. And I think he also, Bertuzzi, adds the, a similar... Martian element of if those guys Bergeron and Pasternak are shooting the puck Bertuzzi's going to be at the net front and he's going to be crashing the net and he has an ability to get there and get rebounds and lose pucks when those guys are shooting pucks and we all know you know Pasternak shoots pucks like nobody else uh, in the NHL he did during the regular season had over 400 shots but I, I think a lot of it is to get Pasternak going I think it's no question about it yeah. it's been a bit of a slow series for him uh, I think the playoffs in general at times are challenging to Pasternak because it gets so physical and because he starts to get banged up because he's such a target and they go after him. And, you know, it was good to see him break through and score and maybe he developed some confidence from that when they were down in Florida. Uh, But I think there is an element uh, of let's get Pasternak going. And I think that's key uh, to the Bruins' success. And they know at some points they're going to need him to get hot. And it clearly has not happened to this point in the Florida series. Yeah, I think that you need to get Pasternak going. And what I liked was game three was 13 shot attempts. Game four, it wasn't the same kind of rate. And now, you know, 13 shot attempts per game, I don't know how common that's going to be for anybody this time of year. But, you know, I think that what you're seeing a little bit with Pasternak is that, you know, he needs to be scoring. But also what I've liked from him, though, is that I feel like this year more than ever, he is taking more contact to make plays through the neutral zone. You're seeing him kind of make that extra pass you know, to get the puck over into the attacking zone and absorbing the punishment. It's a, it's a matter of, you know, managing his body through that punishment, making sure he's upright, making sure he's still available at 100% or close to it. Because if he's not, this team is going to have a hard time winning a Stanley Cup because he's such a dynamic scoring threat. What's amazing, too, uh, just for those of us who've either covered or watched this team, past iterations of it over the years, and seen how you take the certain Bruins out of the games. It is the physicality with the guys like Marshawn, Bergeron. And again, these are these guys aren't shying away from contact, but they're smaller guys. They're more finesse sort of guys. They're not afraid to get dirty, but you can bang them up. The difference here is you've got a series in which Pasternak is struggling. You haven't had Bergeron uh, at all. You, you haven't had David Krejci for the last couple of games. And it still hasn't been a problem because of... Uh, the efforts of Cliff of uh, Coyle, uh, Charlie Coyle, uh, Taylor Hall, and even Jake DeBrusque, the the level of depth that you're getting throughout the rest of these lines, and it was interesting because Coyle was clearly and far and away the best forward through the first three games of the series, and then Taylor Hall entered the chat, and you saw MVP level Taylor Hall playing in Game Four. If you're getting that and you get anywhere close to health, it just that reminder. I think there was a panic after Game Two, like. Oh no! Is this the same thing where we're just gonna—they're gonna get beat up by a physical, heavy team and taken out of their game and 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 and, and just go quietly into the night? And then in games three and four, you kind of got reminded of like, oh no, they've got guys everywhere, and th- these guys are showing up right now. 
I, I don't want to argue with you, Zanis, but come on, argue would, with me. I would say that Taylor Hall has been probably their best forward, maybe one two uh, for as far as forwards go in this entire series. Like going back to game one, he was like yeah. I think their best forward in game one. Yeah. You know, set up uh, Trent Frederick twice uh, for golden scoring chances that where Frederick couldn't yeah. pull the trigger, uh, but was using his speed to get two on ones, odd man rushes, and has continually and and started as. Uh, a third line guy that was not getting a lot of minutes that was not on either of the power play units, you know, really was uh, Jim Montgomery was talking about him, like just doing his role and playing his role, which was fairly small for a guy of his stature of his resume, like all that stuff. Um, And I think progressively he's continued to get more impactful and better and better and better as this series has gone on. And he started from a good place in game one and to be able to do all that he's done uh, while only playing like three games towards the end of the regular season after missing all that time uh, with an injury, I, I think has been A, remarkable, and B, goes back to what we've talked about time and time again with this team, uh, which is the depth and, and how overwhelming their depth is for other teams. You have a, a former Hart Trophy winner, a guy that has his talent level, even if he's sometimes erratic now with the way he shows it, um, but to have a guy like with his talent level on the third line, that is a matchup nightmare for teams yep. around the NHL that don't have the kind of depth that the Bruins do. They're, you're used to in the playoffs being able to de- deploy, uh, deploy your third defenseman pairing, you know, your, one of your skill lines that can't defend against the third lines of the other teams and not get dinged up too badly defensively by them. And Taylor Hall is going to make you pay when you put the third pair D and you put these guys that are weaker defensively out there against him. And I think that's what we're seeing play out in this series against Florida and it's, you know, Taylor Hall, yeah, as much yeah. as anybody else makes the depth go for the Boston Bruins. No, yeah, doubt. I, th- I mentioned I Coyle that... because he had to jump up uh, and, yes. and, and, and do it on that first line is kind of, and the physical presence that they needed there, but yeah, go ahead. Yep. Ty. No, I was going to say, I think that uh, oftentimes in the postseason mentality is a big part of it too. And I thought Taylor Hall had a really interesting quote between games one and two saying, uh, I realize that I might not have a better chance at winning a Stanley Cup than this year. Like, that is not lost on me. He said that, and I, you know, it's it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to play like it, right? And I think Taylor Hall is playing like he realizes this may be his best, maybe only shot at a Stanley Cup championship. And I think that, I think the way he's playing right now, it, it just speaks to a guy who understands what's on the line here, what's at stake here. And, and that is a huge development for the Bruins. You know, like, it's not like, oh, more kicks at the can. Oh, we'll get him next year. It's like, no, he is one of these guys who realizes this might be it for them. And, and it's, a lot why, of it's, why, it's yeah. why he forced his way to Boston, and it's why he signed the extension, and it's why he made everything happen. The escape uh, from Buffalo with Kurt Russell and the eye patch. <laughs> like, th- this is exactly why uh, all this happened was to, to get to this point. Like, he envisioned this years ago, not just, like, right now. He knew that going there was going to be part of his, like, you know, legacy, his career to get a cup and to sort of cap off his career with a team that, that had that kind of talent where he didn't have to be, you know, the best player anymore. It's absolutely right. And I, I was there when he said that, Ty, no question. You, you're, you're thinking in your head, this is a guy that's going to sacrifice and play whatever role he has to play in order to help them win because he, he understands what's going on. There's a lot of people in that boat, though, who have to feel like this is a real gift right now. Yeah. Um, you know, you obviously know the people who've been there have that let's do it for Bergy. This could be the last time that the band is together and all of that. But people coming in, Hall, newer to the organization, but another guy, obviously, like, you know, your, uh, Orloff or Bertuzzi, Tyler Bertuzzi, I've never played in the playoffs before, and I get to come here and just 
oh my goodness, this is amazing. And who knows what the future holds, right? Uh, where is he going to be? And Ty, you and I were talking off air a little bit about like how comfortable he gets to be in his role coming here and just getting to be the guy who he is without this enormous pressure of like, yeah, I just, just get to go out there and battle and play my game and be appreciated for it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about it. Like when they acquired him, you know, it was because Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno were hurt, right? And they had a sudden need. But it wasn't come in here and save the franchise. They were already the best team in hockey. They were already going to win the division. They were going to be the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Like, we all we knew this, right? So Bertuzzi was coming in here as what you'd consider a massive bonus. Like, just, hey, go out and play your game. Score some goals. Put up some points. You haven't had a great year because of injuries and whatnot in Detroit. But clean slate. Go out and do it. And... I think what's really impressed me about Bertuzzi is that he just goes out and he plays a, you know, the term is, is overset, I know, but but greasy. I mean, he scores playoff type of goals, net front putaways, deflections through traffic. Like, that's what you need to win a Stanley Cup, right? And, and I think that, you know, I think the league is trending towards star players carrying teams to championships, but every team has that guy who scores those kind of goals where you're like, He's the only guy who can do that, or, or he's going to do that consistently, and you know you're going to be better off for it. And I think that the way Bertuzzi's playing right now, I mean, it's just a luxury on top of a luxury of a roster, and it's making a big difference, I think, for their team because, you know, you mentioned it, Pasternak fighting through the physicality and, the, and, you know, his body taking some punishment here. Well, now he has Tyler Bertuzzi, so he doesn't have to score two goals a game for the Bruins to have a chance to win. So I think that's been huge for them. Yeah, and I, I like Tyler Bertuzzi's game. Uh, I like what he brings. He's a play. All they did was rack up at the deadline, and we wrote about this ad nauseum at the time. They racked up playoff-style players. Uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, Dmitry Orlov, Garnett Hathaway, all of them play a heavy, gritty, greasy, grimy, whatever you whatever adjective you want to throw out there style. A uh, goblin game. Itself. Yes. <laughs> they are not clean. <laughs> they, are far, they are very dirty playoff-type players in a good yeah. way. Um, but you know, when you look at Bertuzzi, I think two things that, that one nags at me or actually both of them kind of nag at me. One, the, the first round picks always going to bother me that they had to give up a first round pick. And I understood it was a, Oh crap. These guys are injured. They may be injured. Seriously. We need, you know, we can't like have this perfect season and what we're trying to do here going all in blow up on us. So they, they had to give up the first round pick to get him, uh, to, as an insurance policy, uh, for those injuries, I get that, but I, I it still is. <laughs> they they don't pick in the first or second round much for a long, long time, and I think that that is continues to uh, pile up the gravity of the situation right now. How important it is for them to win the Stanley Cup this season because of everything they've thrown into the, you know, into the can to do that. Uh, but the other part of it that when I watch Bertuzzi now is, uh, how willing are the Bruins going to be? to jettison somebody that's part of their regular group to clear salary cap space to keep this guy. Because I think you could put him side by side with a lot of players on this team and say, I think I want to keep Tyler Bertuzzi because I like what he brings to the table and he's a great fit for the Boston Bruins. But in order to do that, they're going to have to do some salary cap maneuvering to get there. You know, because a lot of these players uh, that they've brought into the trade deadline, are Uf they're all UFAs and I I they're going to have a real hard time keeping you know one, never mind all three. 
But I look at Bertuzzi and say, this is the kind of guy that could stick with Boston for a while if they can figure out a way to make it happen. Baseball. Let's go back to the Bertuzzi thing, Ty. Uh, make it happen. Keep him. This guy, honestly, like, has there ever been a guy brought in not only with the impact, and as you said, it's a luxury, uh, and he's built for the playoffs, and he's built for the exact role that they have him in now. It's perfect. It's a perfect uh, acquisition, deadline acquisition. But he's also legit almost a perfect Bruin like it's hard to believe he hasn't played here his entire life he fit right in he kind of embodies all of that stuff that people like to say is Boston Bruins hockey I I don't can't imagine he wants to leave but obviously if you can't pay him anything he's gonna have no choice is there anything you can do creatively to make it happen yeah I think there's one thing it involves a player we just talked about Taylor Hall where if you looked at yeah. Moving trailer hall, moving Taylor Hall, and you know he does have a living no trade, uh, so you have to kind of work with him to say, hey, where would you want to go if we were to make this happen? You know if that's possible, and then you also have Mike Riley, who's in Providence right now, has another year left on his contract. You know, could Taylor Hall be a sweetener for a team to take on Mike Riley, where you're not getting much of anything back, but you are clearing effectively nine million dollars in cap space between Taylor Hall and Mike Riley, so. That may be the way you have to do it. You look at their back end. You got Matt Grizzlick making, what, 3.8, 3.7, somewhere around there. Carlos the other. You have Derek Forbert making three. You have Mike Riley making three. I think one of those guys plus Taylor Hall, that's the easiest way to get that done. And then you hope that Tyler Bertuzzi's making, you know, maybe a little bit under six million a year, maybe a little bit under that Taylor Hall number. And then that's, you know, maybe another player for you in terms of, you know, a league minimum kind of guy on the bottom of your roster. Well, you got yeah, Carlo the, the too real, coming the, in at the five five mil mark or so, right? Yeah. What's that? Yeah, Carlo also coming in around five mil. Is it someone you could potentially look to clear? Yeah, and and the real the kind of bummer of it all is that, you know, and not really a bummer. It's just the cost of doing business. Is that like a, a Bertuzzi type player is probably what you're going to lose uh, because of the penalty you have to pay for Bergeron and, and Krejci. Uh, being rolled over into next year for the uh, the bonus overages for their salaries and their contracts for this year. As much you know, it it always bothered me uh, that everybody like because obviously they signed for less this year and to you know be able to put together the best team that they could and that's the right way to do it with thirty five plus year old players. But it, it always sort of bothered me to hear talk people talking about oh what a bargain so unselfish they just want to win and it's like yeah they were definitely unselfish about it but the Bruins are going to have to pay the piper next year like it's not that team friendly when you're going to get slapped with a five million dollar tab the following season it's just you know putting it off on a credit card until the following year basically uh, where you know they're going to if they win the cup this year who cares and it's probably going to look like a much different team next year anyway. Uh, where they're going to be more willing and more able to absorb a $5 million uh, penalty uh, that they're going to have to pay. But in reality, when you sort of break it down, that's Tyler Bertuzzi is the level of player it's going to cost you for them to have to pay this overage penalty on the cap next year. Yeah, what I will say, though, Joe, about you know the overages, and we all knew it was coming, right? We all knew this yep. penalty was going to be coming. I think what I liked about it, and like is such a strong word in a, in a situation which you're losing about $5 million in cap space, but... They stayed true to the idea behind it, that they brought them in at low-money deals, and they added high-impact players around the roster. If they did that and then brought in an Andre Kasha kind of move, right, or a Nick Ritchie kind of move, or a John Michael Lyles, I'd be like, you miss Nick Ritchie. Don't lie to me, Ty. You miss Nick Ritchie. (laughs) We miss the moon. (laughs) No, I don't 
As I told you, John, do you know the story? Uh, John, Nick Ritchie is not a fan of uh, Ty's work on what? on Twitter with the with the images and the JPEGs or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I made a meme where he was the moon, and it was supposed to be because his stock is going to the moon because he had a really good year on the net front, but I don't think he enjoyed it he nearly as much it? as I did. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But this was during like the Zoom era of, of Bruins availability, so you never had chances to talk to guys face-to-face because I feel like if we had that, I would have said, no, no, that's a good thing. You're the moon. Yeah. Your stock is going up, baby. You know, but uh, the guy grew up on a horse farm. He wants nothing to do with any of us or memes or anything like that. He just he wants doesn't... to go like raise his horses and be done with everybody. He doesn't know what a meme is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but no, but I think that that like you know to go all in, go all in. Don't go don't go all yep. in, but then go halfway. You know, there once you're in the season. So I I liked what they did because they maximized it. Right, like if they fall short. It's not on management. It's on the players, right? The management's yep. given them all the tools to win a championship. So it's on the players now. But I, what I loved about it is knowing the future was going to suck, but saying if we make the present worth it, no one's going to care about that, right? Like that, that, took some, that took some guts, I think, from this front office to make that happen. Yeah, how much of that I – mean, we just talked about it, but how – like you think Bertuzzi happens that way if they felt they didn't have – they didn't owe it? Uh, to those guys for taking those deals? Because as you mentioned, it was an all-in deadline. No, I think that I was just going to point to when Ty was done talking about it, saying them giving up a first-round pick for Bertuzzi is the perfect example of that. Yeah. That's like, We're pot committed. We're doing everything yeah. we possibly can to check every box, dot every I, cross every T, to make sure every sort of scenario, every everything that could go wrong in the playoffs is addressed with an insurance policy or some kind of answer uh, so we, we're not left short as far as players go, you know, n- come hell or high water, no matter how many injuries or attrition comes, we're going to have an answer for it. And, you know, that, and I agree, like, if you're going to do that and you're going to pay this massive penalty next year, you better make this year worth it. And if they win a cup, certainly I don't think the fans are going to cry too much about it. Some will, obviously, but I think most uh, aren't going to cry much about it or care much about it because they're going to have the memory of this dream uh, record-breaking regular season capped off with, uh, if they win, uh, you know, a run to a Stanley Cup and probably Patrice Bergeron pulling a Mark Recchi and saying, adios, I'm going out in style, I'm winning the cup and retiring at the end of it all. And it turns into this perfectly encapsulated season uh, that everybody around the NHL is going to uh, be envious of and remember forever. Yeah, they don't hang banners for cap space. You know, like, so go all <laughs> no. in. I don't care. And listen, I think we're tell, at the point. Tell John Henry, yeah. <laughs> I think we're at the point where we're aware that the future of this team it may get a little dark for a few years. You're right that the accumulation of trading first round picks, second round picks, you know, I think they are already in too deep to, to cor- sort of course reverse on that, you know? So yep. add another one to the pot, you know, whatever it doesn't, again, it doesn't matter if you win a championship, everyone makes peace with it. I don't think anyone in Tampa Bay is bemoaning the fact that they've traded first round picks for all the guys they have when, you know, they have those two Stanley cup banners hanging at Emily arena. So I think that's the right way to look at it. And the nature of the CBA now, like when they agreed to the new CBA that they're working with, the nature of it was similar to the NBA. They wanted teams or they were pushing teams by via the rules that are in place to have a couple of superstars, two, three star players that you're paying a crap ton of money. And then there's going to be no room for the, the middle class, the guys in the middle that you're paying three, four, five million dollars uh, to really add to the depth of your team. And you're backfilling with all these like minimum contract entry level young players uh, that you're barely paying. And that's just like what every team is going through with it. 
the rules are in place now where you can't maintain for more than a year or two uh, this super deep team with quality players from top to bottom. We saw it with the dismantling of the Tampa Bay Lightning and what, what has happened to them, and you know they're paying the price now. And you know the the Bruins are in the same uh, boat where they weren't going to be able to keep it together for that long either. Yeah, I mean this is a dream season, and you're right. It's yep. it, it's there's one there's it's it's for one purpose, and it's uh, it's win it all or. Again, uh, is it not worth it if they don't win at all? I mean, that's the whole thing is it's still really hard. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, hockey being the sport with the greatest amount of variance and it's just nothing is really guaranteed here. You know, is it worth it if it's completely dismantled starting next year and you have to go back to zero? Um, I think yes. I mean, you got to take your shot, right? Yeah, 100%. I think you have to take yeah. your shot. And I think the other part, too, is like a dismantling – you know, it feels strong, right? Because I think it's it, not entirely. They have right. guys under contract. You've got Lino. You've got the defense. You've got the goaltending. Well, You're not going down to zero, way, right? Looking at Zaka and the way he's playing center, there is hope for the center position too. Beyond this season, he's actually been pretty good. So it's it's even turned out, I think, to be sort of a better outlook than we thought at the beginning of the year, just based on the way he's looked. Yeah, sorry, Ty, I jumped in. No, no, I no, but I agree. Like in. This this roster is never going to be, in my opinion, with the core pieces they have between Lindholm, McAvoy, Pasternak. Um, if you want to add, you know, Swayman and Omar, because that's a really good tandem you have right there. You know, maybe the best in the league. They're like, still okay. Yeah, you're ne- yeah, you're never going to be the Philadelphia Flyers. Like, like I don't think you'll be that bad. Like you, at the very worst, you're going to be a wild card team, and it's on you to figure out and identify players that you can throw in the mix there. You know, find the next Zaka, the guy who's underachiever in whatever city he's in. You bring him here, you hope he elevates his game. So I, I, I don't think that they're ever going to truly bottom out with this core that they've built because I think it's just too good to do that. Yeah. A couple other things I want to get to before we wrap it. Uh, I feel that if the Bruins were to have gone with Swayman, it would have happened already. I know it's still possible, but it really felt like it was they were leaning that way for game four, and then it didn't happen. Uh, I don't know what all Mark's battling uh, and how significant it is. Uh, I mean, there's times, though, after, you know, giving up a goal or after hitting the deck, like, he, he, he looks like me getting up off the couch at, like, 7.30 on an NFL Sunday, you know, like, you know, after not having moved for eight hours. Like, it, something looks a little bit off, um, you know. If you had truly have faith in Swayman as a 1A guy, do you think they should have played him by now, and might they consider it for five? I would put him in for five. I yeah. mean, I, I think I, – I, I would. I, I you know uh, – Obviously, I remember the exact play when Omar got up weird and it seemed like something, you know, funky had happened against Washington in that second last game of the regular season. And, you know, a couple minutes later, he was leaving the game. Uh, and, they, you know, they just like Bergeron, they were talking about being precautionary and everything else. But clearly he's playing through a little something, as a lot of guys are uh, at this time of year. But I, I think if I'm the Bruins, I'm up three to one in the series. I, I really have control of this, and something is going to have to go extremely sideways uh, for it to reverse direction and, and for the Panthers to take over and win. Given that you're probably going to need both goalies at some point in these playoffs, and that Swayman has not played in you know what a week, ten days now, where he hasn't seen game action, or like he came, you got to get him in, right? At the if very you're go- end, if you're going to ever, you got to get him in somewhere, yes. right? I think this is the perfect time to drop him in uh, to a game five situation to get him some playing time, especially if you can maximize 
Allmark not going through the stress of playing in that game, sort of getting the extended rest, whatever it's going to be, waiting uh, for the second-round opponent, and maybe try to heal him up and get, her clo- get him closer to 100%. I think there's a lot of benefit in a lot of different ways to putting Swayman into this game while the Bruins also have full confidence that he's going to be every bit as good as Allmark or very close to it anyway because he was that way the entire second half of the season. So, you know, given all the information involved, if I'm running the Bruins, if I'm Don Sweeney, Jim Montgomery, if I'm uh, goalie Bob who clearly has the one and only voice on who actually plays in the net uh, for the Boston Bruins, I would I would start game uh, Jeremy Swayman in game five. Yeah, I would have gone game four. Once they didn't go game four, I'm thinking it's going to be all Mark I don't think until they proven will. otherwise. Yeah. I think that's it. I think that's it for the playoffs, barring injury or Allmark starts to have some bad games. I think you missed your shot. Yeah, I don't think so. Why, why would you have missed your shot, though? Like, you're up 3-1 Because now you want to wrap it up I, and you, I don't, you think don't want to mess any, around like, now. Yeah. I understand what you're, you guys are saying about, like, they should have done it then if they were going to do it. But at that point, it was still a 2-1 to one series, and it was still – you know, very much if you lose that game, it's dicey as to what's going to happen here. I think there was much more on the line in that game four uh, when you were potentially thinking about Swayman. I think this is the perfect opportunity to put him in because there is less on the line. And I think, you know, given everything that we've seen to this point in the series, given the desperation that the Panthers are showing where, like, they know they're this is slipping through their fingers. And I think they're trying everything they could, judging by the actions of what we saw at the end of Game 4. They're desperate to try to find anything they can to get the Bruins off their game and to throw them off of what they're doing right now because they're dominating. And, and I think the Panthers know that they're cooked pretty much. You know, and, and I, I, don't, I don't see them coming back in the series. I really don't. And up 3-1 to one in the series, I think now is the perfect time to do it. I don't think Game 4 was the perfect time to do it. I think they were thinking about it for Game 4. Yeah. But I think it was much more of a pressure, pressure situation. And good thing they went with Allmark in that game, right? I, I think that was the game yeah. that does springboard him into he's a proven playoff performer now. He's showing that he can dominate and be the guy he was in the regular season during the playoffs. You know, I, I said this a couple of days ago, but like that was Tim Thomas-esque, some of the things he was doing in that Game 4. Not only the first period when the Panthers were throwing everything but the kitchen sink at the Bruins and dominating, and he was holding it all back and keeping them in when the Panthers had them on the run. But, you know, some of the save attempts he's trying to make. There's a couple times in this series where he's done the flying double pad stack saves where I don't think I'd ever seen that from him before. And, you know, obviously going at it with Kachuk towards the end of the game. And it was funny. I I mentioned this in in a video that I did uh, on uh, for CLNS. Omar let it slip a couple weeks before the the regular season was over that he was watching videos of the old playoff games from 2011 with Tim Thomas. And he was kind of fascinated with the way Thomas was playing and him getting into it with the Sedins and everything else. And I'm sure he was doing it as research to try to figure out, like, what it takes to win in the playoffs. And I think we're starting to see some of that in the postseason. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, between so the we, massive saves and the fights. I mean, it's, it's Tim Thomas reincarnated. So we agree. <laughs> he should have played in game four. Uh, moving on. No, I'm just <laughs> uh, Well, honestly. Yes, they made I, the right call in game four. Congrats <laughs> to the Bruins. 
What would have happened? Uh, we Swayman should have played game four. We got it. No. Uh, what would have happened? What would have happened if the ref wasn't standing there uh, between Allmark and Kachuk there? <laughs> no, because the Bruins are saying some, some crazy shit after. We like, would have seen a Ric Flair-esque like, selling could, of whatever uh, Allmark was going to do to Kachuk when he, he hit He could beat up anybody. Kachuk was going to immediately a, go down like a ton of bricks and start writhing in pain. Yeah. Trying to get Omar suspended for the rest of the series. Yeah. What a clown performance, by the way. What, a, what an app. Uh, like, clown time, is a clown. Your, team, your team needs you to carry them like you have for the last four months, and you become a sideshow act all game long. Between that Hathaway cross check that got, a, that got him a penalty and the Bruins scored in the power play, put him in a 2 0 hole, and then that, that nonsense in the third period. Just, he's an, he, Kachuk is an unbelievable player. That was an embarrassing performance, I think, from him. I'm is just looking for justice. Like the, do do they do anything, or you let them go? Like, do you no, just let I think him, let him be I'm a knucklehead, forward. or does somebody want to do something about it before it's over? Well, I'm looking forward to Game Five and the Bruins going up early in that game, which I think is going to happen because I think the balance is coming due for Matthew Kachuk and for uh, Ryan Lumborg. Things uh, could end badly, though. Like, game. do you really want to do that? Like, do you I wanna, think they might. Don't you I just want to get I in, get out? Some, I think there's some angry feelings over some of yeah. that. That, like. You, we, we were both there, Zanis. I think you were there too, Ty. Like they were all pissed off about that uh, trying to choke out Trent Frederick at the end of game two. Yes, no. uh, at the Garden. I think that's going to be answered for in this series. I don't think they're going to take a number and wait until next season. No, hundred percent. Yeah. And and you know, McAvoy was in a pretty pissed off mood after game four. And yep. you know, I, McAvoy, I, I remember last year's series. I'm sure you do too. That once Svechnikov took out Lindholm. For the rest of the series, McAvoy was trying to put Smechnikov on the tracks. I, I can see McAvoy yeah, trying yep. to line up a big hit on Kachuk or Lomberg. You know, as for tell, if they're not going to answer the bell that way, they'll make him do it another way. And I think that's that's where guys like seventy three come into the mix. That's he's gotten school. Kachuk a couple times too, but yeah, I mean, he's been looking for it. I think all series uh, there, and 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 I wouldn't be shocked, but I. I I don't want it to. De- I don't think. Look, people want to satisfy their bloodlust, but you don't want it to devolve into something where you're taking cheap shots too, uh, especially up like five one six one and on your way to the next round. But again, I, I get it. I wouldn't be shocked if something happens. Before we go, we do want to look briefly ahead um, into a potential round two matchup, which amazingly now looks like it's going to be Toronto. Uh, who had their Bergeron Bergeron moment coming back from three goals down in the third and uh, uh, win that game over the Lightning? Uh, now they're up three one. They were a laughing stock after one game. Here we go again. Memes, sad Toronto fans, all of that stuff. And now uh, they look like they're going to round two for the first time since uh, two thousand and four. Yeah, two thousand four. Um, is this good? Is this the better matchup for the Bruins uh, or, or or worse if they end up here? I, I believe in sports as poetry and uh, the fact that the Bruins have been the absolute heartbreaker for the Toronto Maple Leafs for as long as we can remember. And now the Leafs will have the chance to do that to the Bruins in their perfect season and ruin it for them uh, in the second round of the playoffs. Uh, if I were Bruins fans, I would be deathly afraid there's of that. There's 2004 situation. Sox-Yankee vibes here, right? Yes. Like there's like, it, it's, if, if the Toronto's yes. going to win, it's going to be perfect. It's yes. going to be storybook exactly the way they wanted to and they've imagined to for all of this time. It's going to be them turning the tables on the Bruins yes. and, and reversing what's been going on for as long as we can remember. Yeah, there is that possibility. I just... I, I listen. I, I was talking about the Leafs winning that series, you know, a little while ago. 
I still need to see it. This team is yeah, like yeah. they're known yep. for gagging things away, and and, yep. and it, even if they get to round two against the Bruins, I, I think that the Bruins have matched up against them well this year. I think that one loss was the Mitchell Miller signing day. You know, like so so you have that yep. in the equation. The Bruins were not into that game. I didn't. That was think. a little bit of a weird day. It, yeah, that just was. a little bit. Yeah, you had all the captains <laughs> saying we don't want this player. <laughs> Always kind of a welcome welcome to the organization, kid. Um, they asked me about it after yeah. <laughs> they signed him like right but but i think that you know for me yeah. it's still the same questions that i've always had with toronto yeah. is there de- is their defense strong enough and is their goaltender good enough and right now Ilya samsonov i know the graphs and and the stats say that he's had a great season i see a very beatable goaltender when i when i watch Ilya samsonov play so i i still think the edge has to go to the bruins based on what we've seen in this series and it could be a similar series where there's a lot of firepower up front, but the back end has question marks and the goaltending is not good enough. So so what happens there? It's like I see both sides of it, but when it boils down to this, I am more afraid of Andre Vasilevsky than I am Ilya Samsonov. So that's how I look yeah, at that. That's where I am on it too. Is it's that's that's the thing. Uh the goaltending, I think, is a is a is a big difference maker here. And and yeah, more holes there. I I think the Vasilevsky thing is what scares you most about Tampa, plus insane high-end uh, talent on that team as well, uh, and able to kind of you know score in bunches. But I, I think the goaltending's got it. I mean, that that feels like it's going to be Toronto's undoing ultimately. Yeah, I it think definitely so. does. Uh, yeah. You know, well, I, I there are some things I like about Toronto though. Ryan O'Reilly's the anti-Bergeron. He had Bergeron's number in a big way in the 2019 Stanley Cup Final. Nola Chari coming back to bite the Boston Bruins after they let him go. Yep. Uh, he's been a factor, a very good factor for the Leafs in that series too. And I just think eventually great players get it in the playoffs. And I think what we're starting to see is Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews starting to get it. And I think when that happens, uh, that's when you need to start fearing a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I just think, like I said before, there's a poetry to sports. There really is. And you do see the tables get turned in these rivalries and these matchups. And it's not the nuts and bolts of the matchups in the series. It's just the general, like, I've seen this story before. I've seen the little brother that got the crap kicked out of him year after year after year in the rivalry. And then all of a sudden, when they have a chance to ruin the perfect season for the other team, they're able to do it and, and become the heartbreakers and turn the tables. And I feel like it's setting up for that. And it's not good. So yeah, Bruins, there, there is that legit possibility too. Sorry to interrupt, John. Like, like no. there is that the unknown of of we don't know what Toronto's going to become once they get this monkey off their back. Like, yep. there's so much pressure on them that if once they win, there's like, oh, we're built for anything now. Like, there is that possibility as well. If they get yeah. to the second round tie, they're going to start playing like players that are traded out of the Buffalo Sabers when they get they play like they're freed from jail for the first time in ten right. years. Yeah, watch well, out. I, either that or game three, they hang a first round banner uh, and they're dissatisfied <laughs> that they made it that far. And, you know, start dropping confetti from the ceiling if they win hey, one game. Don't doubt those yahoos that are sitting outside the Air Canada Center watching on the big screen. They're capable of something stupid like that. There's, uh, I don't know about those. But anyway, uh, so Bruins, one, one more win. You're off and running. Who knows what's going to happen in that series, but Toronto's got control. That'll be fun. It's a fun series. It's a fun matchup no matter who you get. Uh, there, but the Toronto is great theater. So you know, from a fan perspective, anybody watching that that that'll be a really great 
uh, second round matchup if it gets there. We're going to wrap it. We're going to say thanks to Ty Anderson from 98.5. Check out all of his stuff over there at 98.5.com. Uh, all of his Bruins coverage, of course. Joe Joe Haggerty over at Boston Hockey Now. Make sure you check out everything Joe's got coming down the pike. Both guys will be covering Game 5 in person uh, on uh, Wednesday night. Wednesday? Yes. yes. Yep. What day is it now? Wednesday Thank you, Boston night. Celtics, for playing Game 5 tonight and giving the Bruins two days of rest. Very nice. Wednesday night yes. at the Garden. Of course, once again, the Pucks with Hags podcast, powered by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston. Take advantage of this promo deal. And again, I'm telling you, you are running out of time. Uh Deposit 10, bet 5, 200 in bonus bets, yours, when you go to fanduel.com slash Boston. This has been Pucks with Hags. We will see you guys next time. Thanks for listening slash watching.